outside the box of religious obligation lies a road less travelled into the heart of the Father's affection. Slinging freedom all over the place, this is the God Gym. Wayne, I don't know if I told you this or not, but I got to set on a sex panel at the college. A sex panel? A sex panel. I'm mm-hmm. not even sure what a sex panel is. Well, neither did my wife. and she It's was- not something you buy at Home Depot, is it? <laughs> no. <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> no, you got a special order that. No. <laughs> okay. um, so the name of this sex panel was Sex in the Dark. And so I went home to my wife and said, hey, uh, I want to participate at Sex in the Dark at the college campus. Would you be okay with that? Okay. And she just got this look on her face. And I said, no. I." So what they do is they shut off all the lights and students are able to submit anonymous questions. And then there's a panel of mental health providers, medical professionals, social workers that are sitting on this panel and then answer the questions that are submitted anonymously by the students. Are you in the dark too? So they don't know who's answering? Um, no, they they could see the <laughs> panelists, but uh, the crowd was in the dark. So The crowd's in the dark, the but you guys, that's not fair. No, it was not fair. I it don't think I'm going to call this podcast Sex in the Dark, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that might get really interesting. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was very intriguing. I, For me, I love to get into conversations about sexuality healthy sexuality etc and so to be able to get invited to be a part of this panel and there was probably 70 kids 70 students that were at this thing uh, which was really surprising to me i would have figured there would have been like maybe 10 but it was a fairly full room and the point is to allow kids to explore themes about sexuality on the campus without being pigeonholed or whatever. Yes. To is be that able what to ask is? questions. Yeah. And, it's not an academic it's, pursuit. It's more of a social life kind of. Yes. Help. More social life. And it was, it was one of the featured events. They were doing an entire week on healthy sexuality on campus. And so they had all these different things that they were doing to just try to introduce safe sex practices, healthy relationships, anti-abuse stuff like that kind of thing. And so yep. it, I got invited to be a, a part of the panel and it really, it was very interesting. I can see this excited you very much. It was. It did. You're trying to drag me into one of these conversations, aren't you? I am going to, but I'm going to let you do a best thing you heard this week first before I drag you into one. Oh, you are? I am, yeah. You don't have a best thing? Uh, Not this week, I don't. Okay, well, we're doing a twofer, actually, for those that don't know. We're just uh, backing up back to back here because we've got some time. So we've used all our good ones uh, in the last episode. But I've got something I was going to read just from a, a young mother. I'm Wayne Jacobson, by the way. And I'm Kyle Rice. Welcome back to The God Journey. This is from a young mother, uh, mid-30s maybe, mid to upper 30s, I think. Uh, Aspirations to be a writer, going to write some stuff, feel like she had the God thing all figured out some way. And then I don't know if it's from our discussion or something else, but she kind of of opened her eyes, uh, discovering in her mid-30s that she didn't have all the knowledge she thought she had about God. Hmm. So here's what she wrote. I felt like his love is an ocean, and I'm on the shore, splashing around in the shallows, squealing, isn't this fabulous? And a picture of Jesus standing there smiling and thinking, wait till she sees an octopus, a jellyfish, a whale. Mind blown. He really is this vast. And she says, I wonder if God is made of crystals, like living crystals that are shimmering and sparkling and somehow alive. And when we see him, we'll say, of course he is. And it wouldn't be strange or other 
but will make perfect sense. Maybe that's weird, but the American picture of God, the Santa Claus man in the sky, is so in our image that I wonder what it would be like to truly wonder at and about him. What kind of God is this? who set the world spinning with literal treasures to discover, depths to mine, love to behold, who gives us so much good, even in the presence of so much evil and foolishness. There are many days where I just think I can't handle it. It's really too much for words, isn't it? And he helps us. I've been walking with Jesus earnestly for years, and I'm blown away by how shallow it was. Embarrassed, truly. I can't believe I thought I had seen enough. I was missing most of it for crying out loud. I love those words when somebody's <laughs> discovering that this God that was all nicely packaged in a box when he was given to her discovers that God is so much bigger than the way even Christianity tries to contain him in this little box of predictability, I guess. But for God to sit, watch a little kid playing on the beach saying, oh, wait till they see a jellyfish or a whale. <laughs> oh, that sounds that sounds kind of like God. Yeah, it does. It definitely does. Just the delight and the anticipation for what what they're going to discover. I've been walking with Jesus earnestly for years, and I'm blown away by how shallow it was. I remember mm. when that statement would express for me that that little inkling in my heart, I have more to teach you if you walk away and if you stay. And my response of, eh, what more do I have to learn, man? I've got this pretty well down. I'm 42 years old, for Pete's sakes. <laughs> and then discover, man, all that I thought I knew was so shallow compared to the depths of things that Jesus wanted to invite me in on. And that's been worth it for sure. And it's interesting because we can play in the shallows, right? We can still splash. We can still have fun. We can still play in the shallows. And yet there's a lot of play and depth and discovery and wonder to be found if we dare to venture out a little bit farther. Yeah. And I think this started in our conversation with her because I was sharing something about the Dante thing I read. Remember we play mm. in our little corner yeah. of the beach and we think we understand the ocean. <laughs> and I just, cause that's the problem. The problem is not that we're playing in a little section of the beach. The problem is thinking that's all there is to the ocean. My experience yeah. defines the ocean instead of no, no, the ocean's got way more than you than you could possibly conceive of. And that's true of our God, our God who's just so much greater, so much more vast than the ocean, so much more wonder to behold, so many facets of his person, even even to think, what if he's like living shimmering crystals instead of this Santa God Claus God thing we do? Let's see. That's hilarious. <laughs> If God's a crystal, I'll be I'll be shocked. I'll say that for sure. <laughs> then the new age people will say, see, we had it right. We told you crystals yeah. were the answer. <laughs> We've been telling you guys this for 2,000 years. <laughs> <laughs> Please, God, don't be a crystal. <laughs> be something else. Anyway. I'm going to laugh just for his sarcastic humor that if he's waiting for you in the image of a crystal and be like, you know, you went African-American woman. I went crystal. So it's totally up to you. <laughs> and then he said, then she says, whenever he is, we're going to look at him and say, of course, that's what he's like. <laughs> uh, that's what'll be the fun part. Of course, this makes so much sense. <laughs> it's like when you, you finally make a lot of conclusions about something you know nothing about, and then you actually discover the thing and you go, oh, wow. This makes sense, but before it didn't make sense because we didn't see the whole thing. Yeah, I, man, I, 
I got I had an interesting conversation with a friend the other day about that, and we were just we hinted a little bit on the the joy or not the joy, but the the temptation of certainty. Because this individual was just processing a little bit about how they like the the living intention of the unknown or living in the tension of what I do know, but knowing that that's only a small piece of it, how that can create some anxiety or that can create some fear, that type of thing, versus people around them that have this perceived experience of certainty, even though this individual knew that that certainty was false that it wasn't actually accurate and that it was trumped up because of their own in insecurities, there was still some temptation to lean into that a little bit. Yeah. I think that's kind of led us astray for a long time. We find to be certain about things that are wrong, more comforting than <laughs> to live open-handed with, yeah, I don't know yet. I don't know what I'm not sure. And I, I have found the joy of living in uncertainty of uh, knowing what I know about God and knowing there's so much more about him I don't know, and how God might attack a given situation in my life, which would be very different from how I would attack it. And I just, I find the wonder of the beauty of God being so wild and so adventurous and so fun that the whole idea of certainty now, when I run into it, and I do, even on this trip, I run into <laughs> this trip we just came back from, people who are so certain, even when they're talking about something I actually agree with them about, they talk with that expert certainty, top-down, kind of, it's, it's a bit of a turnoff. I sit there going, okay, you don't you don't know God yet. You, you know a little piece of him, and you've got that part right, actually. I actually like, at least I think you do. Yeah. But there's so much more you don't understand about him, or you wouldn't hold that with such certainty that that's the whole thing. That your little tide pool defines the ocean. <laughs> it just doesn't. And it's it's a bit of a turnoff. Once you see it, once you see that whole expert kind of top-down, talking down, schooling people because you have the answers they need. And I just think, man, you don't have a God big enough. You just don't. And if you beheld him as he was, you would know this God is bigger than your little box you're carrying around. Right though it may be, it's limited. It's incomplete. It's just a part of his person. So that makes me think of the topic that I wanted to explore with you today. <laughs> Back to sex in the dark. I can feel it. Back to sex in the dark. Oh, but great. I think I'm going to call the podcast that just to shake <laughs> people up. <laughs> they just hey. have a big black picture in the middle. It's all black. <laughs> We might get a lot of clicks. If you want to talk about clickbait, we might get a lot of clicks. Okay, now you've just discouraged me from doing it. <laughs> no, I, I think about the a place that the brand of Christianity has, the expert brand of Christianity has, at least for me personally, has expertly failed me, has been in regards to sexuality and sexual intimacy. And I, I've, Growing up, there was a lot of certainty about what you could absolutely not do. And then there was this mythical finish line of once you won some poor girl's heart, once you, and I, I grew up in the era of the, you know, the Joshua Harris, you the know, courtships, dating goodbye, you know, courtships, dating on purpose. Um, so you went and negotiate with your dad with a bunch of donkeys or whatever, so you could buy her for your wife, that kind of courtship. Not quite that far, <laughs> but I didn't have my first kiss until I was 18 because of Joshua Harris. 
um, and thinking that it would be the most romantic gift that I could possibly offer my future spouse is to have my first kiss be the first kiss on our wedding or at the wedding when I say I do. Um, that was one of the you were you got married at 18? No, but I tried to uphold that. Oh, you tried to I wait. Tried to, I tried to wait. I tried to fulfill that um, as one of the gifts that I could quote unquote offer to my future spouse. But my first kiss didn't come till 19. I had nothing to do with Joshua Harris with just finding a willing participant <laughs> who was who was passionate about God enough to entertain the notion. So, <laughs> so it was intriguing because I brought this up to you and as a possible idea of podcast that's been bumping around in my head. And you had a very different experience of the teaching regarding sex and sexuality and sexual intimacy and a different experience in regards to like Christianity than I do. Yeah. Don't out me. Let me, let me share mine. You just go and talk okay. about yours. Oh yeah. I'll, I'll talk about mine. That'd be good. But, but I feel like personally, I don't think that anything could have set me up with worse expectations and a higher level of shame content than what I experienced from Christianity, the brand of Christianity in regards to sexual intimacy. Uh, it just, and How I, so? my gosh, I'm trying to figure out what that is. So, I mean, there was, there was, for example, uh, I had one conversation with my dad about what it meant to have sex period. And I grew up on a ranch. So, you know, being a part, like seeing, animal breeding going on around me was a very normal thing. Be very delicate here. So we went straight into just the, the sheer biological process of what it includes. And then the basic God meant for this to be in the context of marriage period. That was it. That was the end of the conversation. Epically awkward terror. Like it was, and he and I at that time did not have a good relationship anyway. And so for me, that was a horribly awkward conversation because it's like, I, I don't want to, I don't trust you with really anything right now in my life. So why would I trust you with this conversation? And yet I didn't have, I didn't even have a single conversation about wet dreams, masturbation, healthy sexuality as a teenager until I was a junior or senior in high school. The rest of it was avoid this at all costs. God God hates sexual sin, that it's the only sin that completely destroys your body at the same time and, and harms other people. Basically, don't have sex before marriage or you'll die. And then it's a green light for whatever you want. And it's going to be this blissful or experience as soon as you get married. Well, then I got into marriage. I also got into graduate school and started studying sexuality and healthy sexuality and quickly found out that I had been very ill-prepared. And on top of that, had a lot of expectations and shame that over the last 12 years have been 10 years, 11 years, 12 years have been having to slowly die because there was almost this, especially as a young, as a young believer. And I had, you know, I got married at 20, how old was I? 20, 26 when I got married, 27 when I got married. And so I had waited that entire time to have any kind of sexual intimacy with, with a person. And there was all of these expectations that were built up on it. I never, I was one of those weird people. I didn't struggle with 
any kind of temptation around pornography until after I got married and started having sex, which was a really interesting conversation to get into of like, why am I being tempted by this now? Like I, I went 26 years without being tempted by pornography. And now all of a sudden I'm in a healthy married relationship where I'm having sexual intimacy with the person that I love. And now the temptation is coming up. Like, where is this coming from? Hmm. You know, what's happening here? And, or for example, the fact that one in three women and one in four men experience some form of sexual dysfunction in their marriage or in their, in their lifetime, excuse me, in their lifetime. And so, and never was that a conversation that was brought up. And so both in Jess and I's relationship and then a lot of couples that I work with, there's this experience of, well, the expectation was we're going to have tons of copious amounts of sex. We're going to have similar levels of sex drive because she's been obviously waiting too. And if she hasn't, or if that isn't her story, then that comes with a whole nother set of conversations, right? I don't know. I, I've been really, I've been in a lot of conversations over this last week. And then I love getting into conversations, especially with college students or in the college campuses where I'm allowed, like I'm given an opportunity to have conversations about healthy sexuality. And I just feel like the religion of Christianity couldn't have done a more poor job at preparing me for that. So I would love your thoughts, feedback. Wow, yeah, you said that to me earlier, like they couldn't have given you worse expectations. And I was thinking, okay, what that what bad expectations did I get out of all that? And I I didn't get those same things. I mean, I get the idea that, boy, you know, if you have intimacy outside of marriage, you could get an STD and die. And I, I grew up with a God who yeah, you know, if you're the one that throws a cigarette butt out the window, it will start a forest fire and it will damage, you know, or you you have one night where you went too far and yeah, you're going to get going to get some horrible wasting away disease and die. And I mean, I grew up with a God. I think fear was always the thing that people use. What's the worst thing that could happen? Well, that's the worst thing that could happen. And so you you fear it. I definitely got some of that. But I also got, man, inside a marriage, once you're married, then it's just fair game for this beautiful thing that God made for us to share and experience together. So I didn't have that. I realize now, I talk to a lot of young people who were raised with sex is so sick in God's mind that he only allows it in marriage. And it's this horrible thing. And then when they get married, they can't turn on the joy of it. They can't because they've shut it down, despised it for so that's that's maybe the weapon religion use is to despise sex so much as a way to keep people from it until they're married. But I didn't have that. I, I that mm. I talk to others who do, and it's it saddens me. Also, your statistics of one to three and one to four sexual dysfunction, that's that's really kind of in those same parameters of people that were sexually abused or sexually exploited on, before the age of 18. So, you know, okay, yeah. that, there's probably a lot of that there that's created the problem with it. I've talked to a, a lot of women, for instance, who will tell me they never felt loved by a man for most of their teenage dating, whatever experience. It was all about objectifying them, using them, trying to find pleasure, trying to, you know, all that, trying to force her to go further than she wanted to go. I, I hear a lot of that where women don't feel genuinely loved by a man. They feel used by a man. 
And yeah. that, whew, I, I didn't get that from Christianity, though. I didn't get it. And I didn't get a lot from, from my parents either. I remember mom and dad talking to me about what sex is like the night before I got married. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm like going, okay, this is probably a little late. Spoiler alert. <laughs> and I did have, I think, the idea that any kind of arousal, any kind of attraction, enticement, being looking at the opposite sex and your heart going pitter-patter, that's the lust of Matthew chapter 5, and you, you might as well commit adultery because yes. God's going to kill you for that. And we did have that, and just trying to keep lust out of your head when lust is any kind of something that's enticing, just ridiculous. And I think I somehow sorted that out early on. I, I think what's wonderful about at least having some kind of relationship with God, you kind of have a sense of the things that really tick him off and the things that don't. And was I like going, okay, well, I didn't, he didn't seem to be different in my life just because I was on the beach yesterday and saw some stuff that went, wow, as a young, as a little, as a young man, oh, oh hmm, I haven't seen any of that. I didn't grow up with sisters, didn't, didn't have any of that in my life. So, but yeah. the expectation that this is something beautiful that a couple shares together, and we had some really good premarital counseling saying, look, everybody talks about it as a great all, end all, be all, do all learning to share that kind of relationship with another human being and finding their turn-ons and finding the vulnerability and finding the safe place for that to be discovered, that's a big deal. That's going to take you some time. So we didn't come in with, boy, the honeymoon is going to be this great experience and it's just all going to get better from there. It would, it was definitely that this would be something we would explore together as rookies. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, Sarah and I were both rookies when we got married. So we didn't have experiences that we brought in from other people. It was just us. And when we did stuff that didn't work out well, it was kind of goofy. We could laugh at it and go, okay, let's not do that again. But it did become something and that was incredibly fulfilling. I, I was warned early on that women and men approach that very differently in terms of desire and attraction and what, what's the turn-ons, what's not the turn-on in terms of more side-oriented versus more emotion-oriented. I mean, I had all that. So when I got married, Sarah and I were very much in tune with that. This is something we're going to talk about and explore and find our way to joy. And over the course of time, we have. Hmm. See, and I meet both in my own experience and then just in a lot of the work and conversations that I have with people, I meet a lot of people that I would say fall into the category of the older brother where they they have quote unquote tried to do it all you know all by the right code like i didn't have sex before marriage i you know blah blah blah, blah i saved myself etc and then they get into marriage and you you made the comment about fair game that everything was fair game after like in the context of marriage and man i have heard so many people talk about that both from often from the grieved husband's perspective and the mildly abused wife's perspective where the wife is feeling used or she's feeling misunderstood or she's feeling her heart is feeling missed. And the husband, like for me anyway, I was like, man, I, what do you mean that you don't want to, what do you mean that it's not interesting to you or that you don't have the drive to have sex multiple times a day you know, or to have sex even four or five or six times a week, or, you know, what, what do you mean that that's not part of your expectation or, you know, or these, these, these experiences where it's like the, 
at least a lot of guys that I talk to, there's this, okay, I saved myself. I, now it's all fair game. Now I should go and be able to enjoy and have all this, these pleasure things. And then you get into a situation like, for example, with my wife and I, where there were some medical complications that came up. And so we weren't able to have physical intimacy for a period of time. And this is in our first couple of years of marriage, you know? And so it's like, what, what, like, who's talking to us about that? Like, what, what are you talking about? What do you mean I can't? And, and so it was just this idea that everything's fair game, that it's going to be this, you're both going to just want to constantly tear the clothes off of each other, you know? And then I hear these guys that are, a lot of these guys that are like, what happened to that? That's not the reality of it all at all. And even, even some ladies too, where I've seen it on the flip side, where the woman has a strong sex drive. The guy has so much shame in regards to sexual intimacy because of what they've been taught in conservative Christianity, that he has a lot of insecurity. He has a low libido level. And now she's feeling, but now she's feeling like she isn't beautiful. She's feeling like her, she's not desirable because all of a sudden her husband is not wanting to pursue her. Like she'd been told all her life, right? Where she's like, no, you got to dress a certain way. You got to act a certain way. So you're not a temptation. You got to make sure that you're not a stumbling block for your brother. And, or, and now she's supposed to be able to be a, a, a stumbling block. Right. And I can, I can tempt my husband. I can cause my husband to have allure to me. And yet when she doesn't, then there's these messages of, well, are you actually beautiful? Are you actually desirable? Is your, is your husband sexually attracted to you? And I think more, if you went to any kind of Christian thing that led you to believe that you would have multiple sex per day, I, I don't know. I don't know where that was. It must have been a Jim Jones cult or something. I, I've never heard of such things in terms of the expectation. I think guys use that. There's so much in Scripture that guys can use to exploit women, you know, like you're the help me in the perverted yes. tra transformation, the interpretation of that. And the other part about you're not withholding your bodies from each other unless you want oh to be sure. Oh my gosh. There's, there's so much. And this is, this is the one thing that mystifies me that's behind all human trafficking is the mm -hmm. idea that man would enjoy sex with an unwilling partner. Mm -hmm. I, I think that premise right there is, it disturbs me. Whether it's yes. pornography you're watching, whether it's something forced, whether it's, you know, all the all the trafficking that goes on around the biggest sports events in the world where the richest people fly in on their jets. And it's all about these women and sometimes men being exploited for sexual purposes, because there's something about men that see sex as conquering. Mm. And I have the right to impose in almost every, well, it's Ukraine, everywhere there's a war zone, women get raped and mutilated by men. They just do. There's that something in the male psyche, which is dark, perverted, and disgusting. And I, I say that knowing if you're one of those that likes to conquer it, you need to find Jesus in a way that changes all that. Not you're disgusting as a person, but that approach to sexuality is disgusting. I never wanted Sarah to be an unwilling victim of my appetites. And that, that goes back to our earliest days of marriage to some wonderful counsel we got, which is how do I find not the amount of sex that I want as a male. How do I find a woman who desires it because of the way she's treated and because of the way she's held? So if there's not desire on her part, it, it's not enough for it to be duty. 
So that's that's yeah. always been yeah. part of our conversation. That's not to say that Sarah hasn't fallen into the duty part of it at times, because there's a whole lot of messaging there that goes on with women. And so it's my duty. I should, should, should. And I keep saying, I don't want that. I don't want part of you. I want when you can give yourself wholeheartedly and I can give myself wholeheartedly. And when you're a young married couple, you have no idea what any of that means. <laughs> and I, yeah. it's sad that we don't help people understand that because too many, particularly now sex outside of marriage, I, I've, I think 90% plus of the couples I have married have been sexually engaged before the wedding. So the, the idea in our culture is you've got to try it out, make sure the plumbing works. And as I say, it's, it's rarely the plumbing. It, it's once you don't have a value ascribed to sex and you only and always with the partner that God brings into my life that I find, that becomes a very beautiful thing to share together when we both desire it. And to me, that's the roadmap for finding sexual expression between two people that's that's wonderful. If one's withholding because they don't like it and they don't want to explore it anymore and they do the minimal thing to keep their husband contented, I, that's miserable to me. For the man yeah. that's got to keep manipulating the woman to get as much of it as he wants, uh, again, is disgusting. And it will, it will not bear the fruit of a wholehearted sexual reality between two people who genuinely love and respect and care about each other. And that goes to everything in a marriage. That's not just about the sex of it. Yeah. That's that's about everything you do together. And it's, I don't ever want Sarah to be my victim and I don't want to be hers and she doesn't want me to be hers. So how do we find our way to us, to wholeheartedness together? And that's the roadmap. Now, how you get on that together, it, I, I think it takes some good counsel. It does. It takes some wholeheartedness inside. It takes a, a different view of the whole turn on thing so that your wife doesn't become the object of your lusts in a in an unhealthy way. And that's not to say not attractive, you know, not yeah. desirable, not, oh my gosh, it turns me on to even think about her. All those are fair game. But the idea that I the idea that men steal sex. However, with an unwilling victim is at the core of, I think, of human depravity. It really is. And I'm willing to take it as a form of conquest and not win it with love and desire. Yeah. And that, I think there's an interesting, there's an interesting lament that comes. And I found for myself that I had to navigate kind of the, the grieving process at times of, these are the expectations that somehow I obtained mm -hmm. in regards to what sexuality is, what sex would look like in the context of marriage. And it's not that. And some of those aren't just Christian, they're Hollywood. No. Oh, we exactly. just watched two oh, couple, you know, in a, in a Hollywood movie, and there's a little spark. And as soon as they get behind a closed door, they're ripping each other's clothes off and going, that, that was, Sarah and I just laugh at that. That, that, that has no basis in reality. And then the woman is totally excited and finished in about two and a half minutes. And just go, okay, what? These expectations that Hollywood creates, I think, are abominable. Yes. Because no woman can live up to that and no man should try to make her. And it's just, it's, uh, it's no. a completely unrealistic view of what happens between a man and a woman that leads toward the kind of wholehearted sex we've talked about. 
Well, and I think that was the challenge is that a lot of it was I had this twisted, gnarly combination of Christian dogma, rules, and shame combined with Hollywood expectations oh and, and exemplification. And so you're like, oh, what a freaky nightmare, right? For sure. And yet, like the, I remember when, like Jess and I, when we, in earlier times in our marriage, there would be things that we would be exploring and, and I would feel awful because of messages that I had received about men that they were just using people for sex, that they were super horny. And the only thing they could think about was sex, that they were only taking advantage, advantage of women. I knew a little bit about Jess's story and some of the things that she had gone through. And so it was like, I don't want you to feel abused. I feel, I feel dirty trying these things because my connotation or association with those things is abuse, is a violence, is sexual assault, is a you know, not that we were doing any dominatrix stuff or anything like that, but it just the I wasn't even, I wasn't even going there, dude. <laughs> but the, but the ideas, well, I mean, you, you get into like the I mean, how many people who go to church every Sunday have watched 50 Shades of Grey and have an expectation, right? Like, or read the books, even read the books, like. And the expectation of what? Like Finding in, joy and pain, of, hurting each other? Oh, it's just this twisted, like the guy using the girl for his own dark, twisted stuff. But then there's there's some sexual lure and fantasy to him and that whole drive. And just like this, like this awful combination of messages about the the nature of guys you know, and even, even your conversation about like guys being, having this, like this need. And I agree with you guys do. There is this like need to conquer this need to, to have, like, I have what it takes. I can show my strength and my domineering, et cetera. But then, so then if you're, a, if you're a, a guy and you hear those messages and like, oh, that's not great. Then wh where do you go from there? Right? Like if that's, it's, if you're wrestling with that, if you're struggling, and then if you're taught that your sex drive is that, that your sex drive is evil, that it's bent towards the exploitation and the using of other people, that it's only for your own personal gain, it's not for connection, then where do you go? Well, you realize that's everything about us, right? Selfishness at yeah. its root is I'm getting what I want at someone else's expense. Gossip is yes. the same thing. So. I don't think that makes it a horrible, horrible thing to say, yeah, that's how I get started on this, trying to get my needs met. Because that's yep. that's what it is to be fleshy and in the chaos of the world we live in. So I don't think that's a reason for people to go too dark on the whole disgusting meter. But trying to satisfy that, there's a whole lot of talk about how pornography has set men's expectations and arousal at a level that then they're unable to perform in a very tender sexual relationship environment. And that's, I mean, just yes. find a way to fast it for a long time and you'll find the right things. That's what they say, coming back up into it in the same reality that, that, that the same way it damages, you can get off of it and it will, your, your body and mind will reset to what's more realistic. Mm -hmm. And I think that can be an encouragement to people to say, Hey, find your way to that. Unfortunately, because the conversation, especially in, in the, the Christian community often is let's not talk about it a ton, you know, let's kind of avoid it and we'll talk, have little conversations here and there about it. But when, when that takes place, 
then it's setting up these, especially young guys. Well, no, both guys and girls. It's setting them up for these, for example, potential exploration with siblings or with friends or a higher interest in pornography because there aren't conversations about what does this look like to have this in a healthy relationship? What does this look like to be able to enjoy without shame and to be able to play together and to be able to do that in the context of a mutually loving relationship? What does that look like? Because it's the craziest thing in the world, right? When you just describe sex as a physical reality, if it's not play, then it's just weird, okay? Yes. <laughs> remember yes. explaining it to our children when they were young, trying to explain what sex is, and they're going, what? What are you talking about? I'm going, I know. It sounds weird. Believe me, you'll like it. You'll, you'll enjoy it when you yeah. get there. But I, I read an article, gosh, just three days ago, New Yorker or something. It was about how monogamy has ruined sex. And hmm. it was that we were we were made, and then we're talking about God and being made, but evolution says yep. you spread your seed as far as you can, kind of a thing. Again, it's kind of from a man's perspective, again, of mm -hmm. conquering and, and having a lot and the whole guilt. And, and I just... I think there's something, and I want to, because I read the whole article going, this is not my experience. Hmm. Even what Sarah's been through in the last two years of discovery in her own self, to know that we are part of a 1%. I, I meet the 99, Sarah and I do all the time, people whose marriages blew apart because there was trauma in it, and they couldn't find a way to address the trauma before it destroyed them. We almost didn't. But I know having a lifelong 48 years now of relationship with Sarah, through ups and downs, long nights of communication, trying to find our way to us when our, our appetites or desires didn't seem to line up, trying not to manipulate, at the same time, encouraging honesty and getting to us and having a lifelong experience with the same woman and then being there for her in her darkest moment, and she allowing me back in to be there with her. That is the journey of a lifetime. I, I, you know, I know a lot of people don't get it. A lot of people, for various reasons, marriages split up, things get bad, people get hurt. I get that. But I, I'll at least make the point. The way God outlined it is the most beautiful thing in the world. You experiment and learn together. You find a way to joy together. You grow in lifelong. And then as you grow, you're still changing because your bodies are changing and things and appetites and desires and fantasies and all of that change over time as, as you're a growing individual. And then you learn more about your own selfishness and how to, oh gosh, that was a little selfish. Let me, let me learn to walk away from that and trust that the us and us between us, what Sarah and I do willingly, wholeheartedly together is better than anything we can experience. Even getting the other person to do our way is not near as fulfilling as where the us connects us at a tender heart level. That isn't every sexual engagement is not that right there, okay? Even at 48 years in. But always keeping that as our goal and desire and the point of our communication. That I, I don't want to take this article and just throw it through a wall that said monogamy ruins sexuality because it does not. It, it ennobles yeah. it, makes it beautiful, creates the tender spot for both of us to heal inside 
a yes. relationship to each other where trust and vulnerability has grown. But one thing Sarah and I haven't done is betray that trust with each other. Other than the little bit Sarah did in the trauma of, of running away. And that was trauma caused. But we, we've not betrayed that so that we've got to get over a lot of broken trust with each other. But I know couples who do that too. It's not insurmountable. The, the goal of the beauty of what God's given us in the gift of sexuality, no matter how much it's been broken, misused in the past, there is a way to wholeness and to share. And it's not, you know, rip or close off when you walk in the door. It's not the junk Hollywood gives. It's Particularly for many women, it's the tender, compassionate touch of a man that begins to stoke the fires. And where you don't have that, then you don't know what it is to find that wholehearted sexual expression. And I've had more than my share of it, which I'm embarrassed to say. It's just, I know people say, oh, it's not fair. I didn't marry a woman like that. I didn't marry a guy like that. And I, I know it's not fair. I don't know what to say. But for me, I think this is what started our conversation. For me, our life together, Sarah and I, through ups and downs, pains and hurts, all that, exceeded every expectation I would have had in marriage, by far and away. Yeah, and that's, I think that for me is the thing that breaks my heart and I, gets me so fired up when I think about how ill-prepared the brand of Christianity I felt like prepared me to enjoy sexual intimacy because that's been for Jess and I, it's been such a healing space in our marriage for both of us. I brought my own junk. She brought her own junk in regards to expectations, et cetera. But to be able to laugh and play. And like you said, the safety of if something was weird or something didn't work out the way that you thought or something like was like, <laughs> um, People get it. We don't need more explicit than that. Furniture, furniture breaks, you know, furniture whatever breaks. it might be. The fan comes <laughs> off the ceiling, lands on the bed. Whatever, whatever it might be. Um, whatever falls in that category. But it was, but it was in the delight of friendship and intimacy. And so it was like it was fun. And it, it hasn't always been perfect, but to be able to enjoy and be able to learn and create together in the context of the safety and commitment of marriage has been absolutely incredible. Yes. And like, Oh my gosh. And I like being young, I mean, I'm only almost 12 years in and I'm like, okay, father, like I, I can't wait to explore more of what your wholehearted love looks like in this space as Jess and I continue to grow in, in intimacy with one another and help other people know that there's wholehearted life to be found here in the midst of it all with all the, the junk that Hollywood throws and some of the junk that Christian, the brand of Christianity throws, there is some life to be found there that can be very enriching to relationship. Thank you for traveling with us today on the God journey. You can join this conversation by visiting the God